good news, something to bolster your belief in humankind? Lord, yes. Billy Joel's going to be a father again. Oh. <laughs> the piano he man. He got me to drop my gloves and he punched me in the face. <laughs> the piano man is going to be a dad again. He's 68. <laughs> oh, Fantastic. my God. Yeah. Fantastic. I don't know. Whatever. So uh, Xi Jinping, the leader of China, came to the end of his first five-year term, and he unleashed unleashed a long, long speech on the people and uh, made a heck of a lot of news for people who are into following China and trying to figure out what they're up to economically, militarily, et cetera, et cetera. It was a blockbuster from what I hear anyway. Let's appeal to Gordon Chang, author and columnist for The Daily Beast, one of our favorite people to talk to about China and what's going on there. Gordon, how are you, sir? I'm very fine, and thank you very much. Oh, it's it's our pleasure. So uh, tell us about the speech. I, I realize it was three and a half hours long, but uh, what should we take away from it? Yeah, I mean, the length of this is just astounding. Um, I, basically, Xi Jinping took a very nationalistic tone during this, which is no surprise because he is very nationalistic. Um, he talked about uh, reform, but also about the rejuvenation of the state sector, talked about uh, China's sovereignty, how no one could divide the nation. Um, you know, all of these themes. And indeed, if you're going to try and fill three and a half hours, you've got to basically say everything you've said before uh, and then repeat it a couple times. And unfortunately, that's what we get. That's what happens when you have sort of an unaccountable system. You get speeches that go on forever. Uh, any chance of liberalization, economic reform, that sort of thing? Many people actually expect that they will be. They think that Xi Jinping, once he accumulates close to absolute power, will go and embark on reform. I think that's very unlikely, because in his first five years, we've seen a revitalization of the state sector, uh, reformation of state monopolies, uh, re-emphasis on industrial policy, certainly much more control over the financial and currency markets, and the closing of opportunities for domestic private entrepreneurs, as well as foreign companies, U.S. companies and others. So this doesn't sound like a reform agenda. So I'd expect we'd see more of the same, especially because Xi Jinping does very much believe in um, the state and the party. And that really leaves very little room for what we consider to be reform. Well, and haven't I read that they're teaching Mao in the schools more and there are more statues and that sort of stuff? Well, certainly. And, and that should be no surprise because Xi Jinping, when uh, he first became general secretary of the Communist Party five years ago, um, did emphasize Mao um, in imagery, invoking him at almost every opportunity. Um, I actually think he believes this stuff. And when we look wow, at Wow, that's interesting. Done, and the real problem here is that many people expect that he is going to break the rules um, in order to consolidate his power. These are, are norms, guides, and understandings that have been put in place over the last two decades to restrain party infighting. If he's successful in breaking those norms, it means that future infighting in the future is going to be unrestrained. And so, therefore, we could go back to the intense political struggles in the first years of the People's Republic. And, and that certainly would be a um, challenge for not only the Communist Party, but for the rest of the world as we watch China devolve into another form of madness. 
Well, it's tempting to just say the current leader of China is trying to rehabilitate a man who was responsible for the deaths of 45, 50 million people. It's hard to say in just the four years of the Cultural Revolution and just leave it there. I mean, because that's just terrifying. But there's more to be said. Gordon Chang, author, columnist for The Daily Beast, is is on the line. I heard an, an interview with a uh, she was a, a, a feminist in China who was jailed before they could get going a protest over sexual harassment and groping on buses. She was going yes. to protest being molested on buses, and the government jailed her because they prize stability and calm above that sort of thing, which is amazing. I get cracking down on political dissidents, but what does that say about uh, China currently? Well, um, and and we've had uh, activists... Um, feminist activists jailed before for, you know, trying to protest groping. Um, Everyone who wants to protest is going to be subject to being detained. This is just the nature of the party. And under Xi Jinping, there has been a much more coercive nature to um, the governance of the Communist Party. Um, He is basically going to throw everybody in jail that he doesn't like. And it's not just people who protest. It's members of the Communist Party who happen to be of different factions. We've, you know, they call it an anti-corruption campaign, but it really is a purge because we have not seen, um, for instance, the jailing of his allies or his family members. But we have seen the jailing of ordinary citizens who do protest corruption, who campaign against it. So, you know, this is this is malice uh, in very in a, in a very real way. I bring this up every time we talk about China. The history of the world is that the up and coming power pretty much always goes to war with the current world power. It just almost inevitably happens. And what's the stability or the mindset of a guy who gives a a three-and-a-half-hour speech? Doesn't that make him a bit of a weirdo? (laughs) Well, it makes him a communist. Um, I mean, the Soviets did this all the time, Um, and we didn't go to war with the Soviets. Um, You know, what we have in China is is really an insecure, militant state where Xi Jinping, who is very much dependent on the generals and admirals, you know, you talk about what uh, people call now the Thucydides trap. Um, Right. The United States did not go to war with Britain, um, except after the War of 1812, uh, which was a really minor affair. For most of America's rise with Britain, it was peaceful. Not that we liked the British, but because it was, uh, you know, two democracies. And we learned to not only live with the British, but to develop a special relationship with London. Um, I don't think that we can do that with Beijing. The United States has been trying to do it. But by trying to do it, what we have done is condone unacceptable behavior. And because of that, the Chinese have taken that as a sign of weakness and become even more provocative. So the U.S., through some misguided, generous policy, has encouraged the Chinese to become even more belligerent. And so when we look at all of this, it's not just China's unaccountable, insecure system. It's also really bad American policy. That is really interesting, because I remember a roundtable discussion they had on Charlie Rose years ago, and this really struck me. He had some, like, academic journalist types at the roundtable, and he had businessmen in the roundtable. And the academic journalist types kept pointing out the horrible things that China does. And the business types, I mean, these were the real players in the world, kept saying, oh, no, you're overstating that. China's not that bad. And I think you're right. I think the the the, the business deals we've done with China uh, over the years led the Chinese to believe that we're, we're soft on that sort of thing, that they can get away with more. Only academics point out the horrors of China. 
Yes. Well, you know, the business community now is sort of singing a different tune, largely because China's under Xi Jinping has become extremely predatory. And so there are more and more trade complaints. And indeed, business groups are complaining louder and louder about uh, China's behavior. Um, But this is largely a function of Xi Jinping, who believes in the state sector and who believes that there really is very little room for foreign companies in China. So um, I think we're going to have a very different attitude on the part of the business community. Did uh, the president of China say anything about our premier or whatever his name is, Grand Poobah? Did he say anything about uh, the posture toward the U.S. and the West militarily, that sort of thing? Um, I don't believe so. Um, I have yet to read the entire three and a half hours. Oh, good. You do that for me. You do that for me. (laughs) Yeah, eventually I've got to do that. Um, But... um, I mean, he did talk about foreign relations, and he did say that no country can divide China, which means, for instance, that the United States um, insists on freedom of navigation, and the Chinese view that as a threat to their sovereignty, um, because they do claim um, about 80 to 85 percent of the South China Sea in their nine-dash line. And indeed, just uh, a week or so ago, when a U.S. um, warship, uh, the Chafee, was in international water, the Chinese said that we were in their water, indicating that, yes, they do claim most of that critical body of water, the South China Sea. This is really dangerous. China's ambitions have been grown larger and larger, and they're trying to grab territory from an arc of neighbors from India in the south to South Korea in the north. And that puts them you know, in opposition not only to countries on their periphery, but to us as well. Well, it's going to be an exciting century. Gordon Chang, author and columnist for The Daily Beast. Gordon, thanks for the time. It's always interesting to talk. Oh, thank you so much. So you college kids listening, here's a little message from your old Uncle Joe to you. So you got some classmates who are up with the communism and the anarchy and the rest of it. Here's here's what communism actually is. You get an old guy, stands up in front of you, and unleashes a Fidel Castro-esque three-and-a-half-hour drone-a-thon that you have to sit there and listen to, and if you yawn, he'll put you in jail and have you beaten with clubs. That's what communism is. Yeah, I can't get past that. So what what is the thinking behind a three-and-a-half-hour speech? I mean, who, who, well, you know, it's so crazy. It's one party rule. And seriously, not only do you jail, quote unquote, dissidents, you jail anybody who makes any noise whatsoever. Is so there's absolutely no disincentive. There's no well, there's no incentive to be interesting. Well, but come on. Or I brief. Mean, I don't care. I don't care how big a megalomaniac you are. Who likes to stand up and talk for three and a half hours at all? Even if you're surrounded by people who will look at you with rapt attention. I mean, who would do that? It, it's practically universal among commies. Right. So I wonder, is it, a, is, it a, is it just a test? Is it just a, is anybody going to say anything to me about this? And if they are, they and their family are going to the gulag. I don't know. I mean, is that what it is? I, I mean, think it's out three of and power corrupts. Power corrupts. That's hard to imagine. It's I hard know. to even picture. It's hard to hold your pee in. <laughs> <laughs> There's that. Come on. He's got the trucker's friend strapped inside his pant leg, doesn't he? Hey, with all due respect to Mao and the, the communist thing that you're so... Who isn't into it? Me too. I gotta pee. When's this gonna be done? I mean, and then does he start talking about the designated hitter and uh, <laughs> the last season of Friends? I mean, I mean, is he just all over the place to kill three and a half hours? <laughs> and as I said about market reforms... um, Whoa, 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 you you just said, you already said it. So why are you saying, oh my God, I'm going to be jailed again. Have you seen this survey from (laughs) saucydates.com?
<laughs> there is no saucydates.com in a communist dictatorship, Sean. There's no freedom of press. That we never wore it to war against the Soviets is an interesting uh, statement also. Uh, yeah, I kind of raised my eyebrows. We were in proxy wars all over the, all right, over the globe. Right, 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 right. I mean, we didn't actually go into full-out war with them. That is correct. Mm-hmm. Yep, Billy Joel, going to be a father again, 68, with whoever is his current wife. 68? And uh, Larry King and his wife might be splitting up. It's his eighth marriage, which might be coming to an end. That was uh, in the news yesterday. Apparently they're struggling. It's always disappointed when it ends, dot, dot, dot. (laughs) The playoffs without the Red Sox is just a little less, dot, dot, dot. (laughs) Eighth marriage. Oof. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show. The Armstrong and Getty Show. A lot of us China watchers. How do you get? Is that you have to have a permit? Is it like bird watching? You can just do it whenever you want. Yeah. Us China watchers, we've been hoping for liberalization, a little uh, softening, a little whatever. Ain't gonna happen. Yeah. Old Gordon Chang talking about how they're rehabilitating Mao, and uh, and the current guy Xi is uh, a Mao fan. The systematic torture, brutality, starvation, and killing of Chinese peasants has been. Uh, compared to the civil, uh, I'm sorry, to the Second World War and its magnitude, at least 45 million people were worked, starved, or beaten to death in China over four years from 1958 to 1962 during the Great Leap Forward. The worldwide death toll of the Second World War was 55 million. So the World War II wins 55 to 45. But that's Chairman Mao for you. And that was in his, there was, he wasn't done after the 45 million. So that's who they're embracing in China these days. Yeah. Isn't the, that lovely? The current leader, they're teaching it more in schools, <clears throat> more statues going up, and days to honoring him, that sort of stuff. That ought to frighten the hell out of you. Oh, that ought yeah. to frighten the hell out of you. Um, in Speaking other, of frightening. <laughs> in other news, the NBA season kicked off last night, unfortunately, with this. In Cavs history, they're going up. Oh, my goodness. Hayward came down so hard. Okay. Hayward broke his leg. Hayward has broken his leg. Hayward has broken his leg. Yeah, one of the few teams that could stop LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers from playing the Warriors again. Uh, lost their best player, and his leg broke into a million pieces. Oh, my God, that's horrifying. Um, but, oh, I hate that. Yeah, uh, since that was Kevin Harlan, the great Kevin Harlan, we thought perhaps we should <laughs> revisit this fantastic Kevin Harlan moment. Hey, somebody has run out on the field. Some goofball in a hat and a red shirt. Now he takes off the shirt. He's running down the middle by the 50. He's at the 30. He's bare-chested and banging his chest. Now he runs the opposite way. He runs at the 50. He runs at the 40. The guy is drunk, but there he goes. The 20. They're chasing him. They're not going to get him. Waving his arms, bare-chested. Somebody stop Look that out. man. Here comes the blue coat. Oh, Kevin. they got him. Here comes They're coming the blue from the coat. Oh, and they tackle him at the 40-yard line. That's one of the greatest things in the history of sports. <laughs> or anything else. I wonder if he got in trouble for that, but that was freaking awesome. That was great. You Kevin, you're my hero. If you'd have spent a day writing the script for that, it couldn't have been better. Because <laughs> the context was so perfect, too. It was in the like in the third quarter of a 21 to nothing boring <laughs> blowout game. Right. He was just so thirsty to have anything exciting to call. Uh, Bare-chested, yeah. there he goes! That man is drunk! <laughs> the guy is drunk, but there he goes! Back to the NBA last night. So nobody kneeled during the National Anthem? A lot of people Correct. were wondering about that. The There's a rule. The NBA has a rule. You can't. You're not allowed to kneel. Or they what? wouldn't break any rules in the NBA. What'll they do to you? Kick you I, out? I don't know. Maybe there's a fine or something? Officially, the rule is this, Jack. 
Players, coaches, and trainers are to stand and line up in a dignified posture along the sidelines or the foul line during the playing of the national anthem. Although LeBron James wore shoes that had equality written on the back of both shoes. Equality. I'm in favor of that. I am too. Yeah, they linked arms as they show us something or other. Depends Depends on what you're talking about. Equality of opportunity, yes. Yeah. Do I believe that uh, you should have a equal pay, for instance, if you got one person who tries real hard and one person who doesn't? No. No friggin' way. No, no, I don't think so. How about somebody who spends their entire life making good decisions and sacrificing? Should they have more money uh, toward the end of their life than somebody who Fs around? Yes, they absolutely should. Should everybody they should have a lot more? Should everybody graduate high school, even uh, people who didn't uh, do anything? No, no, not no, no equality there. Should everybody get to be a cop, whether they can handle the job physically or not? No. So, uh, and he went with the hashtag my cause my cleats. Yes, my cause my cleats. Is that right? Anyway. Uh, so you got that, which is nice. Yes, yes. And the Warriors lost? The the Warriors lost. Greatly us. damaging their chances. The winless Warriors. Mm-hmm. Of mm-hmm. repeating. Yeah, really uh, really starting to make all those Vegas bookmakers uh, look like fools, are they, with uh, with their winless record so far. But uh, with the NBA protests, only two games last night. Tonight is the oh, okay. uh, much more teams participate tonight. Not nationally televised game. I'll be interested to see if there's any players that kind of uh, take, take the opportunity. There you go. So, uh, one final note from the world of sport. Uh, if you're a baseball fan, you know generally the three, four, five hitters are the most dangerous part of a baseball team's lineup. Uh, the uh, Los Angeles Dodgers have eight, three, four, and five hitters. It's completely unfair. They may be the best hitting team ever. It's shocking as a lifelong Cubs fan. They are a buzzsaw. They are a juggernaut. Well, if God you spend help the civilized world, if you spend two or three times what anybody's ever spent in the history of professional sports, I would you hope. lose over and over again, and don't go to the World Series since 1988. I would hope that you could eventually put together a pretty good team. Eventually, see how he threw that in at the end. Well parried, sir. <laughs> um, but how much? How much is uh, the world of baseball hoping for a Yankees Dodgers? Completely. Yeah. Has that happened? That hasn't happened since we were uh, kids, has it? Uh, I don't know. I don't think so. It's been a while. Uh, Yan- Tommy Lasorda still there? Reggie Jackson? Yes, both of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yankees uh, were down 2-0. They uh, came back. They've won the last two, right? It's all tied up. It's Yankees a new Dodgers. series. Got to tell you, I hate to admit this. It's it's sad. But if it's Yankees-Dodgers, I might have to tune in. I don't know why. The whole country's going to be talking about it. Because the two biggest media markets have their teams in. So it'll be in the news way more than if it were, uh, you know, Giants Astros or something like that. Last time was 1981, Dodgers Yankees. There you go. Good times. Ron Say, the Penguin, is he still at third base? He absolutely is. He's ready ready for the next uh, ball to come his way, Jack. (laughs) Waddling around third base and heading for home. Can I count on that? Uh, Absolutely. No? Yeah, Whitey Ford, too. With those ancient, funny-looking baseball mitts. Those never looked <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Look, and their herky-jerky motions. Why were they all running in fast pace? Like, I don't know. Because they were so faster weird. back then. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of fat people. Uh, what's coming up in your news, Marsha Phillips? Well, Donald Trump taking aim yet again at former FBI Director Jim Comey. And we've got the wounded uh, casino security guard who vanished from Las Vegas resurfacing today on Ellen. And what? Ellen. And the U.S. comes out on top in an epic giant bot battle. Yes! Stories coming up minutes from now, Armstrong and Getty. You look at that old-timey sports footage, particularly baseball, the players were fat, the fans were thin. Now the players are super fit, and the fans are fat.
Go figure. What does that mean? Better hot dogs in the sand. <laughs> Marshall's News coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show. L.A. Times publishing an op-ed piece today. It's time to impeach Trump. Really? Yeah. Wow. Skip the news now with Marsha Phillips. Well, President Trump has former FBI Director James Comey in his crosshairs once again, calling the man he fired a liar. Trump declaring on Twitter this morning that Comey totally protected Hillary Clinton after the FBI confirmed the former bureau boss drafted a statement on the private email case two months before the investigation was complete. Trump tweeting, wow, FBI is confirming the report Comey drafted a letter exonerating crooked Hillary Clinton long before the investigation was over. Trump tweeting again, many people not interviewed, including Hillary Clinton herself. Comey stated under oath that he didn't do this. Obviously a fix. Where is the Justice Department? Now, Comey did state under oath that he hadn't prepared a conclusion. Right. Here's here's the why you come to us if you come to us. Number one. Uh, if he was just putting together a couple of introductory paragraphs in 2015, the Secretary of State was accused of having a private email server, blah, 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 just to get the thing started right. and didn't come to anything close to a conclusion, well, then there's no fire here. There's no smoke here whatsoever. It has been suggested that he did come to conclusions. The non-classified memo is heavily redacted, yeah. which, you know, why? To protect people and sources who are ultimately cleared? I don't know, but if it's non-classified, don't we the people get to see it? I don't think Trump can say Comey completely protected Hillary Clinton. I'm not sure that reopening the investigation right. a week before the election did her any good. Right. And that fabulous <laughs> right. news conference was what was one of my favorite moments ever where he uh, outlined all of her sins then ultimately said, but we're not going to charge her. Uh, that was something. I mean, if you wanted to see Hillary flogged verbally in public, that was a big day. I'm telling you, the Russia story, the Russia uranium story yeah. is a bigger story. And we'll uh, see if we can reset that at some point. The missing Mandalay Bay security guard is missing no more. After vanishing several days ago, Ellen DeGeneres has tweeted the first people to encounter the Las Vegas shooter will appear on her show today, and that includes Jesus Campos. Wow, what a weird country we've become. Yeah, no kidding. The worst killing ever. Just as, as awful a story as you could possibly have. Going to be on Ellen today. Well, the, the cops couldn't find him a couple of days ago. That Is that was, right? That's what, I, that's what I was being told on, on cable news. All right. Was that true or not? I don't know. Campos telling Ellen about uh, what he saw and experienced when he first got to the shooter's room on the 32nd floor of the hotel. As I was walking down, I heard rapid fire and... At first, I, I took cover. I felt a burning sensation. I went to go lift my pant leg up, and I saw the blood. That's when I called it in on my radio that shots have been fired. So he's saying he called it in right after he okay. got shot. Well, that's some of your timeline right then. Yeah. So, As you would hope. <laughs> but then when did the police get alerted? When And the police, this is uh, public information. Right. When did they get a 911 call from the hotel? Was it... Moments later, or was it six minutes later? That's a big deal. Over the objections of a number of activists, the LAPD has been given the green light to launch a drone crime-fighting pilot project. The approval... Drones are committing crimes? No, a crime-fighting project. Oh. Ah. The approval by the L.A. Board of Police Commissioners prompted a demonstration by opponents who began marching outside the police department's headquarters and into the streets blocking traffic. 
The drones would be used in a limited capacity, high-risk tactical operations, hostage rescues, and situations involving hazardous materials or explosives. They wouldn't be weaponized or used to do surveillance. Privacy rights groups not satisfied, though, warning it's more militarization of the police forces. Boy, my buddy has a new drone. It's amazing. Oh, my gosh, this thing. I mean, it's flying in its maneuverability and how high it could go are all great. But it had a high-def camera on it. So he'd send it way, way, way up. And then it, it sent us, I mean, we were watching on his smartphone, these beautiful views of of where we were. And he could turn it. And the thing, if it's running out of juice, it goes back to where it took off from before it runs out of juice. Wow. And, and so now... It auto lands and everything. It's got a collision avoidance technology. So does do the police now have the right to fly a drone over your neighborhood and peek in your backyard? Never mind that. I want one. Has, no, th- has that been nailed down? No, this specifically is saying it's not used for surveillance. These are more for if there's a bomb, we can now send in a right. bomb-defusing yeah, we robot get, we get that, instead but, of that. Uh, to your question more specifically, the courts have to decide all that. Absolutely. We're just taking baby steps into figuring mm-hmm. this stuff out. And if they can use it for surveillance, they will use it for of surveillance. Course. Of course. Uh, we, we've just experienced an epic battle, my friends. Let's beat the box. Our tale of the tech. American company Megabots facing off against a Japanese firm in a fight between two giant robots streamed online Tuesday night from a warehouse in Japan. 13 feet tall? That's plenty giant. That's a pretty big robot. I'm satisfied. Back to you, Marshall. Japan got out into an early lead when its piloted Karata robot took out an older American model, Iron Glory. Oh, beating up elderly robots. (laughs) A single devastating punch. Karata. It's been upgraded to six and a half tons. Most significantly, the addition of a half-ton punching arm. Then, then enter Eagle Prime. Team USA unleashing it. Get him, Eagle Prime. Get him. It's 16-foot, 12-ton beast. The $2.5 million BattleBot opened fire with an arm-mounted paintball cannon before dismantling Karata with a massive chainsaw designed Yes, use for- your massive chainsaw! Use it! <laughs> Wait a second, I just watched a video, and the one really big robot just walks over and pushes the over robot over. That was the first round. Yeah, that was the first round. America did not do too well. The, the, the cannon round seemed to explode right. in the cannon itself. It didn't really do any sort of projectile right. damage. Whoops. The other robot was able to just kind of slowly roll up to the other one and tip it over. And while it would be impressive in person on a video, it yeah. doesn't really make any difference if it's a foot tall or uh, three miles tall. It's just, I mean, it's just the there same dudes thing. inside of them. <laughs> yeah, yes. that seems unwise. Yes. So this is essentially the yeah. the the pilot episode. They're going to try to get together and right. like make a league out of these things. And I don't gotcha. know if it'll be countries or whatever, but I'm all in. I'm an early investor. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, the USA dealt a blow to the Karata team, who earlier told reporters that a win was necessary because giant robots are a part of Japanese culture. Gotcha. That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips, the Armstrong and Getty Show, the voice of the West. Uh, look at that. You get the stars and stripes on the giant chainsaw. <laughs> go ahead. Spin your wacky thing at us. We don't care. We'll chainsaw your ass. <laughs> Way to go, America. Take that. Take that. <laughs> December 7th. Never forget. Wow. Oh wow. <laughs> you know what's coming, folks, didn't you? That was unfortunate. <laughs> Are we going to stay out of the war between the Iraqis and the Kurds since Iran's on the side of Iraqis? So we'll talk about that in about 15 or minutes or so with Liz Sly, the fabulous Liz Sly. Lots of good stuff on the way on the Armstrong and Getty Show.
Just saw a feature up on the TV, the thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of waterlogged cars that they've got in our various hurricane-ravaged areas that they got to figure out how to uh, to sell around the country. Yeah, beware. They'll be trying to sell them. Beware or take advantage of. It depends on the situation. Right, just know what you're doing, yeah. Know what you're uh, buying and the, the risks of flooded cars. Um, the Forbes list of the richest Americans is out. They put out this list, it seems like, every week. But anyway, Bill Gates is number one for the 24th year in a row with an estimated net worth of... And it's interesting. One, he gives away a lot of money, and two, running Microsoft isn't his thing anymore. It's... Uh, Philanthropy. Mm-hmm. He's got $89 billion, and he's still number one. Uh, well, Whatever. Whatever. I imagine he has a lot of his wealth in stocks, and the market's gone berserk. Oh, absolutely. So he, he can't give it away fast enough. It's hard to wrap your head around that kind of wealth, because you could, well, I was about to say literally do anything, but you couldn't reanimate the dead. Although you could, you could uh, take could a, get close. You could take a good run at it. You could take as good a run at it as anybody could. You could do practically anything with $89 billion. Practically anything. And I, I, I wonder how you keep that from effing with your head. Doesn't seem... Well, one of the things you do is you dedicate yourself to philanthropy and you're traveling around Africa and watching people starve to death or die of easily curable diseases, and that would probably be keep you pretty grounded. Sense of purpose. That's right. Then you got Mark Zuckerberg slipping up to number four at $71 billion. Can't He's evil. Afford, Beware of him. Evil. Can't afford a tie. $71 billion. Can't even afford a collar. And he's... He's uh, easily the youngest guy on the top five. How old is Zuckerberg? He's still in his 30s, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure I'm older than he is, which where, makes me sad. Where is he going to huh. end up? Where is he going to end up? So in he, hell because of his evil. He's 33 years old. 33. Is he going to end up being the, the richest person that's ever lived adjusted for inflation? I don't know. Just insanely? Or or does Facebook just disappear and he's a joke? and. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. I mean, because who invented MySpace? Were they rich for a while? <laughs> no clue. Then you get your your alphabet, your Google. They're uh, trying as hard as they can to come up with. They're into everything at this point. Mm-hmm. They're investing in everything that seems to be the future. They got it. a new phone out today that's getting good reviews, at least in USA Today. Their new phone, the Pixel 2. It's a real contender, they say. Yeah, so Google right, is then. getting into everything. Super. Speaking of phones, smartphones, we were talking earlier this week about how Smartphones and social media are ruining a generation, giving massive mental illness to America's young. Uh, Thanks a million to Ellen for sending this along. She says, in your discussion about being forced not to use your phone, I got wondering if there were apps that cut you off after a certain amount of time. Sure enough, one search proved that someone already beat me to my billion-dollar idea. Mark my words, you're going to see an uptick in people trying to cut themselves off. I'm a millennial and already see people in my generation realizing it's a sickness. And she included a link to a Bloomberg article, which we have under hot links at uh, armstrongandgettyradio.com. Is it there already? Fabulous. Well-oiled machine, my friends. Um, (laughs) That uh, has a bunch of ideas for apps that will help keep you from being a pathetic, short attention span crack monkey for your phone. It's so troubling. I hate even thinking about it because I'm so troubled by it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm searching through the apps right now. Um, it tracks how much you're using your phone and tablet, creating a pastel timeline of your daily screen gazing. Mm. You can monitor how many minutes you spend staring at each wow. device, how many times you pick it up, whether or not you're meeting your goals, etc. If you wow. if you set goals, I would like to look at that at the end of the week and see how many times I picked up my phone and how many minutes I spent 
That's called the moment app detox. It's really specific. App detox lets you tell your mobile usage to keep you on task when you need to focus. Let you roam free when it's time to chill out. That's some unnecessarily groovy writing. You can restrict Facebook during business hours while leaving Outlook totally untouched. Conversely, you can always turn your work email off for the weekend. Dare to dream. Settings are really flexible. Manage the number of times an app can be open, what time it can be used, how much time you can sync into it. Yeah, I see. I don't. I don't count reading books and newspapers against me. Whenever I'm doing that, sure. Well, perf, that app's perfect for you. Then yeah. you can read books and newspapers anytime you want. But when I just pick it up, just to, it's just crap. It's just crap. It's like eating Skittles. Although, you know what? I'll tell you this. We read newspapers and watch news and listen to news for a living. Um, so it is a little different. But I grab the phone and look at headlines and papers and stuff, partly just because I like the thrill. Because I get the crack monkey hit oh, yeah. of endorphins. For myself, I'd have to separate in my own mind the difference between am I actually reading a long-form article right, for information, or am I just looking for what's the latest on this or that? Mm-hmm. Just the little hit of an, the, the little endorphin rush. Right. By the way, that reminded me of a joke I heard the other day. Um, my wife told this to me. I get jokes. The best way to eat candy corn. Mm. Number one, buy a bag of candy corn. Mm. Number two, open it. Number three. Port in the trash and eat a bag of Skittles. <laughs> Which I thought was funny because last year we had the list of the top ten worst Halloween candies and candy corn was number one, which you disagreed with. I love candy corn. But my wife and I uh, agreed that candy, right candy corn is just disgusting. Oh, it's so good. Throw in the trash. Full of artifacts. <laughs> Nothing, there hasn't been new candy corn made in like 60 years. <laughs> Why would you attempt to mess with perfection? You nibble off the little orange top, and then you nibble the middle part off, and then the delicious base. Step three, port in the trash, get a bag of Skittles. (laughs) Candy corn. I don't know if my kids have ever had the candy corn. Skittles, which was on our legendary list of ten candies that sound like an STD. Right. (laughs) Skittles, Milky Way. Mounds. Skittles and iced tea. Zagnuts. (laughs) I got got with her, she gave me mounds. Oh, boy. I got a shot, cleaned it right up. Oh, yeah, I had the Skittles for like three weeks before I knew what it was. Milky Way is just plain gross. Uh, (laughs) Halloween is sneaking up on us, isn't it? I don't know. Is it scared, kids? Both of my kids are Ninjago Warriors this year. What is that? I'm very excited about it. Uh, You're a ninja. It's a movie. It's a, oh, it's a TV show. It's a whole thing. Is it but... tied to Legos? Yeah. Okay. Tied so to Legos. Oh, Ninja Legos. Yeah. Ninjagos. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a racial slur. <laughs> Family of Ninjagos. They got in. some you know, they are. cool Ninjago costumes, though. We got them at Target, and I would have loved an outfit like this when I was a kid. It's so cool. The way they zips up into you and the mask and the way it fits and looks, it looks like a whatever a ninja costume would be in a movie as opposed to what they used to have back in the day. It was just this one boxy plastic thing in a mask that zero visibility and ready to burst into flames. That's that. That's the costumes I had as a child. <laughs> it was good enough for me. Yeah. My kids love the Ninjago costumes. The ninja, the the Lego stuff, though, I find a little cruel. We, I don't let them actually watch the movies. I know they're popular with the kids, but I don't. Very cruel and sarcastic and snarky. I don't like the tone of the Lego stuff. That's the tone of our times, Jack. I know. Are you sure you're not uh, over sheltering them? Boy, I don't know. the 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 whole nin- the. The whole, uh, the main movie out there is the the troubled relationship between the son and the dad, and the dad's always making sarcastic, mean comments to his kid. I just, oh boy. just don't find that enjoyable. Do you let him watch uh, Big Brother? That's good for him. <laughs>
or uh, how much candy how about corn? The jackass movies. How much candy corn you we- willing to eat on Halloween for a contest? <laughs> Are you talking to me? Yeah. I'm the co-host. Like I'm a not pound? your dancing would, monkey. Would you eat a pound? <laughs> you can eat me. <laughs> You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show.